Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I am joined by Christine Valenzuela. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Jessica. Thank you. Thank so, you. So good to meet you. It's really good to meet you. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you are a regular Reach listener, then you know that we've spent quite a bit of time discussing how to gain buy-in from your executive. But what about everyone else that you need buy-in and information from on a day-to-day basis to do your job effectively? People like your executive's direct reports or people in finance or other C-suite team members Christine has graciously offered to tackle this topic of basically how to get that broad buy-in and how you as an executive assistant can really telescope your value beyond just what you do specifically for that individual, but actually you know, how you um, provide value and how you influence at a broader level. And ultimately, you know, the, the idea here is how do you as an EA really um, create good PR around yourself and your role. Because I think a lot of of what we're trying to discuss today and try to get at the heart at um, is, you know, how to to gain broad buy-in around your value and what you do. So before we jump in, just to give a a quick um, highlight around Christine's background, for the past 11 years, she has worked both as an executive assistant and a chief of staff in industries as varied as aerospace to software development. She's starting a new role as an executive assistant at Atlassian. And fun fact, this isn't even her first podcast. This is, I think, your your second, maybe? Uh, It's my third. Your third? Oh, my God. You're, God, you're... You're uh, nipping at my heels here. (laughs) Good for you. So I think, you know, given the the context of you starting a new role on Monday, and I think this is actually so, so apropos and fitting because you're going to be doing this exact thing, right? Joining a new company, getting buy-in, you know, establishing good PR for yourself, building a brand, building recognition so that you can ultimately do your job in the best way possible. So this could not be more timely. So To begin, I'd love to have you paint a picture for our listeners around some of the scenarios or situations that executive assistants often encounter that make it really essential for you to have, you know, effective collaboration and cooperation across departments, right? What's the, what, what are the situations that come up? What are the information needs and, um, you know, necessities that, that you encounter that, that you need to gather in order to do your role effectively? Wow. Um, That's a pretty long list. (laughs) To do the job effectively, though, it's not so much about having specific hard skills. It's more about the soft skills and knowing how to engage with other people. Um, I... The thing that comes to mind, and uh, it always stands out when I hear and read about other people, is the concept of servant leadership. 
Um, you know, and I think it pertains to you, whether you're an EA or whether you're a CEO, that it's all about approaching people with the, the mindset of, you know, how can I, how can I help you? You know, um, let's just say you, you need to engage with something, with someone on doing something. The question might be, how can I make this easier for them? Or the best thing is, is this even a good time? Because sometimes if you need to get things done, it's, you've got to be able to, it's really important to be able to read the room and have a high level of discernment. You know, that's at least half the battle when you're trying to get anything done. So you've got to lead with those things before you even start engaging with the, the tactical skill. I mean, that, that totally makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I think coming from a place of coming from a place of I'm here to provide value. I'm here to make things better. I'm here to improve things mm-hmm. is, is a great is a great framework to operate from. Um Sometimes there are just, you know, uh, necessities, right, that, that you encounter, you know, maybe you're putting together a board deck or maybe there's a certain project that your executive has tasked you with that requires you to work cross-functionally or, or unilaterally across the org. So I'm curious, like, if, if you've ever been in those types of situations where you've needed information from somebody to make something happen, um, and, and perhaps where you faced some level of resistance or you were told, oh, you know, Christine, this is above your pay grade or this information is on a need to know basis and you don't need to know it or something <laughs> along those lines that inc- created kind of an impediment or roadblock to you getting what you needed uh, to, to do your job. I always start with giving people proper perspective on what's going on. I think the wrong way, and this pertains to people in our field or any field, really, the wrong way to approach it is to go in there and say, I need this. I need it now. Just do it, you know, or or some version of that. I always try to give people some, some context of this is why I need it. It's being used for this. Um, I, I, I dislike going into situations where that's not, I, I don't like it when people come to me and they don't give me the context. So I'm really, really big on giving people the context. Um, it's, you know, it stemmed from this meeting. Um, we have this, you've got to paint the picture that you are capable of putting this together. You're just needing the data to put it together. Um, so context is a really big, uh, is a really big thing. As for people that sometimes are reluctant, I I run into. I can only think of one time that I've ever run into that. Um, usually, I, I have a pretty easy time with even the most difficult of people, but um, I can only think of one instance where it's ever happened where somebody really did not want to work with me. I was a new chief of staff, um, and. Although my boss, who was the chief revenue officer, had informed his team of my role and what I was there to do, there was one guy who always insisted on talking to my boss instead of me. Hmm. And in fact, he got downright mad about it. But I just never took that personally. Um, I'm not sure if it was because I was a woman or if because I wasn't an executive colleague, but his mm-hmm. his ego was not going to let him engage with what he viewed as a lower level employee. And I saw that right away. So 
it kept me from from getting upset about it. And and then, you know, before and after the situation happened, I, I reviewed it with my boss, with HR, and I even had ad- access to a leadership coach for our department. And I got confirmation that I checked all the right boxes. Um, so I, I, I felt good about how I approached it and what I said. And um, at, at the end of the day, you know that saying, it's not you, it's me. This, this was definitely a problem with him on his mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it personally. Mm-hmm. How did you ultimately, I, I'm assuming you eventually got that person's buy-in. How did you manage to do that? I had to stand by, okay, I'm here to do a job. This is not about, uh, you know, faltering here. So I just kind of, I kept engaging. I kept talking. I kept reinforcing. I kept asking questions, um, you know, as I would with anyone, anyone that, that might, be deemed difficult to work with. I just would engage over and over and keep that dialogue open. And sometimes, you know, if I saw an avenue where I thought I could add a more personal touch, I did. I think the first tip that you gave as well around, you know, providing context and always leading with the context is is really a good one. You know, most people, it's like there's that, you know, Simon Sinek who always says, start with why. And yes. I, I think there's <clears throat> a lot of truth to that of, for the most part, when people understand where the request is coming from, why it's why it's significant, you know, what the impact is, why it's important, um, there's a lot fewer questions and there's a lot less resistance. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's just kind of an easier way to get and, and gain cooperation. Absolutely. So you you touched on this, and it's a nice segue to to um, something I wanted to bring up, which is that you know I think that there can be um, to my dismay, and I think the dismay of a lot of our, our listeners, there can be just kind of some stigma attached to this role. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> and I think that we've 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 waged a pretty awesome campaign to to combat that stigma. But I, I think that um, that there are definitely politics, there can be politics at play in certain organizations or uh, amongst certain executives or individuals where they might not see the executive assistant as as empowered as he or she really is right and and right. because of that i think there can be there can be politics there can be um dismissiveness there can be as you had faced now christine you know i'm not giving you this information like i'm gonna go above you i'm gonna go to your executive directly right um we wish it didn't happen but we know that it does and you know it's interesting because i i had on our, our program a couple of months ago we had on kenya graham and lisa magazine who together were the executive assistant and personal assistant respectively to um sarah blakely who's the founder of spanx and um at the end of our program um, i think we were not recording at that point but um lisa asked me she said you know do people still get into this career and you know do you think that people get into this career because they choose it or do you think they get into it because they kind of fall into it and don't really know what else to do and it just sort of happens? Or do you think that there's like a conscious choice? And she asked me, you know, how are how are EAs perceived? And, you know, as somebody who's just recently retired, I think she's kind of like asking in terms of like the next generation of EAs, right? Like how are current EAs right now perceived? And it's an interesting question because I think that there really is this 
issue around perception and this issue around brand and PR for the EA role, which is a big reason why we wanted to do this episode is, you know, how can EAs really like reclaim and, um, and manage, you know, how, how they are perceived. So I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this as somebody who's been an EA for quite some time, as well as a chief of staff, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think sometimes, not always, but sometimes executive assistant roles have less cachet than other positions? Um, You know, why do you think it is that sometimes people have a harder time understanding their value and, and what they do? Well, first I'm going to say, I, I listened to that episode you were talking about. Those ladies were total rock stars. I loved, I loved every minute of it. It was, it was so great. They had, they had so much good information. Oh my God. I love them. I wanted to teleport myself to Atlanta where they were and just like join their little martini party. Right. (laughs) So the first thing I thought of, I'm like, I want to get a happy hour with them. Like they they would have so many good stories. Oh my God. They were fascinating. They were fascinating to talk to. And just so, um, such coming from such a good place, like a, a like yeah. a place of just like, Absolutely. you know, authenticity and, and really mutual respect for each other. But anyway, go ahead, okay. as you were so, saying. So it's, it's, it's such a big, important question. I mean, I could talk about this probably for the for the entire length of this podcast. But how are they? How are we perceived? There is still a stereotype, right? There's stereotypes die hard. I mean, it takes a long time, um, decades really, to change the stereotype, but it also takes people talking about it and being vocal and putting it out there. Um, but the reason those stereotypes don't die hard is because we have jobs that operate in the background in, in most companies. Um, when your role involves making someone's life easier or quote unquote, just getting stuff done, almost no one sees the skill that's involved in doing that every day. So it's impossible for people to understand our value. We're the only ones that really know what we do, right? Uh, Usually our bosses have the most exposure to our capabilities, but even then only part of it is visible to them. Um, You know, they can be asking for something as minor as, hey, let's reschedule that meeting. And little do they know that can be a major rabbit hole that can take not just time, but a lot of finesse, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a million things like that, uh, that seemingly innocuous uh, tasks that are, I, I, there have been many times when it's taken me two to three hours to do something like easy, you know, <laughs> reschedule a meeting, <clears throat> but you know what, there's so much behind that. Um, and even kind of getting back to the question, even for myself, I've wondered why so few people see the full extent of my capabilities. And all I can attribute it to is that people in our position tend to fulfill, I mean, we do a lot within our jobs for ourselves, but we tend to fulfill singular needs for other people. Um, An example of this would be, you know, all the times I've helped people with Excel formulas. So they see me as an Excel expert. So they keep coming to me to help with Excel, but they might not have me help out with anything else. Um, Maybe someone might know I'm the person who has the latest staffing numbers. And so I'm the go-to for the staffing information, right? Um, Someone else might see me as a project manager and they're like, hey, what's the latest on this project? 
And then that becomes, you become the source of information for that. But almost never do people see us as the source of all these things put together, you know, mm-hmm. in a, this amalgamation of all the things that we do. Um, and so that's kind of why we have to start talking about it. We have to have this dialogue. We need to explain to people how much, you know, our roles have changed over the years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's just so many people that are, and through no fault of their own, really, they're stuck in that madman era and they pigeonhole us as a calendar keeper or a typist or, you know, whatever it is that they think, or, you know, a coffee fetcher. <laughs> I mean, we might mm-hmm. do all that too, right? Mm-hmm. But not just that. Um, and our perception in general is good, but it's not great yet. Um, you know, we're seen as capable contributors, but it's that, stereo- that stereotype is hard to kill. Um, not, it's just, we do so many things. And again, because of that background, nobody sees it. Um, not long ago, I actually came up with a list of close to 10 different roles that I've fulfilled when I've worked as an EA throughout my career. And how many people can say that they do the work of 10 other professions? Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't think I can't, maybe, okay, maybe this is my tunnel vision here, but I can't think of any other roles where that might happen. It, it's changed so drastically over the years. Um, and more so when you work in a C-suite or have a chief of staff. Um, but it's, it's hard to change that perception because no one, and I'm glaring really hard at the HR people right now. Okay. <laughs> no one <laughs> steps back to rescope their expectations of the position and then internally, not enough people are elevating our value within the leadership team. So that's why you know, podcasts like yours are so critical. And, you know, there have been a lot of great articles that have um, been publicized. I know there was one recently where they talked about EA's chief of staffs making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. And, and, you know, at, at least it gets people talking about what we really do. And that, yes, there are some executives that put a high value on our contribution. Exactly. But the bulk of it is still, we still have a long way to go. We've got to start talking about all the things that we do and, talking about it as a whole, not just, and not just, you know, being the Excel expert or, you know, the staffing person, uh, the person that knows about staffing or this person that knows about projects. Um, we've got to bring, we've got to paint the full picture. Yeah. I think I read the same article. Was it the one in the wall street journal recently? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It talked about, you know, executive assistants being $400,000 contributors and how, you know, quality support has never been more critical or essential uh, it, it would seem than now. Uh, and they talked about, you know, these ultra high net worth figures and, and how they need somebody that can really run the gamut from like, you know, fetching whatever low level task to, you know, whatever, um, navigating a highly sensitive, you know, situation with the board or whatever the case may be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that speaks volumes, right. I mean, follow, follow the money. Right. I mean, if, if people are willing to, compensate at that level it would it would suggest that they they assign a certain level of value and importance 
to that individual to where they're they're paying them at an executive level compensation. And yet there is this still this this, you know, divide that exists sometimes between perception and and reality. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, it's so interesting, like the example that you gave, Christine, of, you know, rescheduling a meeting. So some people in its most simplistic sense say, OK, well, yeah, really? Somebody pays you that much money to, to schedule right. and they but roll their eyes at and that. they roll like, their oh, eyes. Like, oh, I could, I could do that. But it's like it, it's missing the point, right? It's missing all of the intricacies and sensitivities and the elaborate web um, that, that is likely involved around that event, around that incident, around that, that meeting, you know, what are the reverberations? What are the, what are the sensitivities uh, admits that relationship? Are there sensitivities that we, need, that we need to be mindful of? Is it going to impact the business priorities in certain ways? And how does that, what is the domino effect there? Exactly. And how are we going to triage that? And oh, by the way, we know that this person's already feeling, you know, disgruntled about X, Y, and Z. So if we push this off and it's like, there's <laughs> this is the whole yes. level of context that is, that is, that informs how a good EA makes those decisions and and navigates those things right and all the skill and, involved with doing something as simple as rescheduling i mean it's it's a there's a lot of skill involved in that a hundred percent hundred percent and 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 that's just like one tiny piece of of the equation so i i agree i think that you know it's so important that that everybody that's in this business and in this industry and in this profession um is aligned on our objective and purpose around, you know, um, communicating the importance of, 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 of this work. And um, I think that, you know, your being here and, and just, the, you know, these types of episodes are really, really, really helpful for that. So um, to go with that, to, to take that to, I guess, another, another level, um, how can executive assistants, you know, up-level themselves, right? So, if you're dealing with a stigma situation, if you're dealing with somebody who, you know, has a certain narrative around, oh, an EA, that's just a glorified schedule. I can't believe they get paid X, Y, Z amount of money, right? How do you begin to change that narrative? How do you begin to debunk that stereotype? You know, you mentioned one strategy that, you know, with this one difficult person that you encountered of, of just being, you know, consistently... Um, kind, present, not, not getting deterred by their, you know, kind of whatever rudeness, but what other tactics and strategies can, can people employ? Because I know that there's a number of listeners out here who are feeling um, marginalized, who are feeling frustrated that they're not able to get the answers or, or cooperation um, that they, that they need. Um, this is such a good question. I, I'm a big fan of just staying informed about what you do, whether you're an EA or your career or something completely different. It's important to stay on top of your profession and um, research, you know, and, and, and research what's happening. What are people talking about? I will be the first to admit that um, I just came across, you know, your podcast, a couple of other EA podcasts earlier this year. And I'm, I, you know, I'm being honest. I'm a little ashamed to say that I, it took me so long. I think, 
I don't know. I think we're, we're, we're the kind of people that we just put our head down and we work and work, 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 work. We focus on doing our job. Um, and I never even thought until earlier this year to start looking at resources. Like I, I think what part of what it was is I was having a little bit of imposter syndrome and I thought, am I maybe not as good as I think I am? Like, you know, has, has, have I, have I, did I peak a long time ago? Am I on the other side of that bell curve? And so I'm like, I need to research like my profession. I need to see, you know, I need to see what other people are doing. You know, what are, what are, you know, celebrity EAs doing? And so I kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of, of, of a Google research. And that's when I came across all these podcasts. And mm. what has been helpful is, listening to the podcast and then for me participating in them, it's, I'm learning to talk about elevating ourselves as EAs, as chief of chiefs of staff and improving. I want to improve on that over time. Um, and then what I'm able to do is take that dialogue. Um, and then I'm using it to engage with other people whether that's my boss, um, whether that's HR, you know, and in my case, I'm starting a new job on Monday. It, I've had been able to use that dialogue during interviews to start talking about, you know, why it's important to, um, they always ask that question, how much, you know, it goes back to the pay. How much do you want to get paid? And it's nerve wracking when you're interviewing for a job because you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to pay, you don't want to get yourself out of the interview before you even start. But then, you know, there's that part of, well, you know what, this is what I, this is what I need to get paid. And, you know, as a matter of fact, it really should, this is the bare minimum and it should be this instead because of the value we bring to the C-suite. Um, you know, circling back to that article and, and some of these EAs being paid like executives, that's exactly where my head is because I see the value we bring to the C-suite. Um, you know, one of the questions that I, I think I probably even used this in an interview was how, how often can say CEO go to one of their executives and say, give them some random task, the most random thing possible, you know, do, ask your CFO to do some random thing. And he or she would be like, no, I'm busy. Whereas, you know, we're, we're the ones that are like, okay, yeah, give it to me, <laughs> you know, we'll, and mm -hmm. we get it done. Mm -hmm. And with a smile and we do this all day, every day, and there's value in that. And yeah, you know, should we be paid more? It, we're, we get paid a fraction of what our bosses do, a fraction. And considering the value we bring and all the things that we can do that other executives maybe can't they're they're more focused on one or two things and you know our bandwidth is so wide we should be paid appropriately for that it's also helpful to consider so i agree like there's a there's a versatility here and there's like a the ea as utility player is for sure i think like definitely one one paradigm of this role um where eas are just sort of deployed you know <laughs> to, to whatever task it might be. It could be running an implementation. It could be, you know, onboarding an executive. It could be uh, structuring the board meeting. I mean, it could be any number of things, right? Onboarding so, executives. That, that's yeah. a key factor right there. Like yeah. we're asked to onboard executives, 
right? Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But I think too, like, you know, when it comes to how do you elevate and raise your brand, I, I think that there, there's clearly there's a lot to what an EA does. We all know that. But how do we, like, what strategies can can others use to get that buy-in from from people that may be less than um, less, you know, inclined toward them? And I think part of it too is using your your power for good, right? So I think that a lot of times, and I, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like you know a lot of things, especially in business, they, they trade on favors, they trade on, you know, um, kind of social capital and, you know, what, what, what's going to work for them. So it's, I think like you as an executive assistant are in a very advantageous position in many senses and that you are able to help gain, you know, the ear of an executive, you're able to help, um, massage the schedule. You're able to help get important things in front of your executive that those other people need at certain points, right? It it right. It, it it behooves them to cooperate with you because by being cooperative with you, well, then you can also help influence positive things on their behalf. Or you know, hey, I really need to get so and so's attention on this. Or I've, I'm you know, this is really critical. We're in a we're in a tough spot with X, Y, Z decision. I need, you know, I need a, whatever I need a, I need a feedback on this or I need a decision on this. I mean, I think also playing up your role in that sense can be a really useful strategy for, for gaining buy-in. Um, because when people start to see, oh, wow, Christine is, you know, is really influential in this way, or Christine really had my back on this. And thanks to Christine doing X, Y, and Z, I was able to get whatever they need and whatever they care about done. Right. So I think like, and again, going back to what you first said about context, like that's why it's so important to know how do all the puzzle pieces fit together? Who needs what from who at any given point? And if you can help, you know, nudge that along, then I think you are constantly building good social capital for yourself and hopefully amassing more than you're burning with with what you're asking in return. Yeah. And when you, when you start talking about context, I mean, that's kind of really the gateway to, to building your personal brand because, um, you know, and, and it, it, it starts with something small like that, because if people only see you as a, as a tactical, you know, with all these tactical tasks, um, and if that's all you do for other people, that it, 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 you're just going to further the stereotype a bit, you know, and um, by, doing things and giving context, you have a chance to build your brand, right? Mm-hmm. And I hate to think of myself as a brand, but it's um, it, PR for the position, we'll say. Um, when you give them context, you're telling them that you know what's going on. You're explaining mm-hmm. how all these different pieces of the business fit together. And that's when they start understanding, oh, wow, hey, she kind of, she knows what she's talking about. She's, mm-hmm. she's, yeah, I, I, I can, may, maybe I can go chat with her about this and then you build on that. And, um, and then, you know, it, I had a long time job where I, um, worked with a lot of, yeah, a team of EAs and, you know, there were always those EAs that you would ask them a question and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not my job. That's, I was given this, I'm passing along. And it's like, that's not the good approach. That's not the right approach. Right, and so right. I use those examples to then 
improve upon, right? And just say, all right, I don't want to be that person that says, I don't know, <laughs> I could I could shrug my shoulders all day, but is that the right thing? You know, if someone's really trying to do their job, the right thing is to give them contacts. Well, you know, I'm I'm we're doing this because of this. And that came from this conversation. And the problem there was this, this, and this. And, you know, you start connecting all the pieces. And um, I, I've had a lot of good luck just giving context. And people start coming to me with, with uh, lower level problems. And then they start coming with bigger problems. And, you know, I there was one time um, a job that I had, someone came to me and he and I kind of, he was like, uh, I'm not going to give his name, but he was kind of like a bratty little brother to me. Um, had a very large personality, we'll say. Anyways, he came to me one time and he was genuinely panicked, which was not a way that I saw him. Um, mm. I almost never saw him like that. And he came and it, just the look on his face, like I knew something was wrong. He's like, I have this big, big meeting. He's like, these are all the people that are involved. He's like, I don't get involved with these meetings. Like my meetings are all engineering related and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Like, what, what, what am I supposed to talk about? And it was a meeting with the CEO, with the president, all the, the senior level VPs. And I'm like, look, you know, these two people, there, you don't need to sell them on anything. They already love you. Don't worry about them. I was like, you know, you've got the finance guy. Integrate some finance numbers. That'll make him happy. You know, you've got the mm -hmm. manufacturing guy. He's really big on precise data. So make sure if you're using data that pertains to his department, that you get it directly from his office because he does not want to see even a half a percentage point off of what that true number is. Um, so I was like, you know, call Kimberly and, and have her give you the latest information. Um, and then there's these other people's, you know, you just want to acknowledge them and give them love. Don't tell them what to do or what your hopes and wishes are for their department. Just, just speak to them factually. And, um, it, it, this was like a five, 10 minute conversation. Like I just rattled all this stuff off and I'm like, look, yep. don't sweat it. I was like, you know, you're the man, you know that, like, just, just, just do that. Like keep it high level They they aren't expecting you to deep dive into some engineering problem or whatever. I was like, keep it high level, like give everyone some love and, and that's it. So I sent him on his way a couple days later, he circled back. He's like, I just wanted to let you, I just wanted to thank you which he wasn't the kind of person that thanked people. He's like, I just want to thank you. And I have to tell you that the CEO pulled me aside and said, that was the best meeting he's ever seen me participate in. That was the best presentation he's ever seen me give. And he's like, so I just had to thank you. He's like, because if it wasn't for your advice, I would not have done so well. And so I just was like, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to take that as a win because it was, you know, me knowing the context of what was going on and the people involved and what the things they like, the things they don't like. I was able to pull that into a real life situation and yeah. get really good feedback from, from an unexpected place. And, um, yeah. I, I still, I, I love that example. Like that still lives with me. And it's like, that's, that's kind of what it's about, you know, just helping people out and giving them context and, sending them on their way. And sometimes you hear about the, the outcome, sometimes you don't, but um, that's kind of the, the essence yeah. of what we do, right? I, I love that. I think that's such a powerful example of, of really, again, like using your power for good and yep. 
like what we were talking about, you know, building positive social capital, that person guaranteed by you doing that, com- you completely recast yourself in a whole different light in their eyes. And, and they actually saw your value. They saw your utility in terms of how you can positively impact and influence, you know, them to look good in their role. And at the end of the day, most people, most people want to look good, right? They, they want to, they want to amass credits for themselves. They want to gain favor. They, they want to be well-received and, and respected. So if you can show them that you have the ability to help them in that goal, I mean, that, that absolutely brings positive PR to, to you as an executive assistant. And I, you know, I, I was, um, it reminds me like I was taking a reference call um, for a, a very high level assistant um, just last week. And I was speaking with two of her former CEOs who both lead, you know, really, really impressive, um, well-known companies. And the thing that all, both of them um, said about her and what they really, really valued in her over the years was her ability to really um, read the room for them and, you know, be, be that advisor. And I think that when people see you in that way, when they see that, that you're, you know, because let's let's be honest, most executives, I mean, there are exceptions, but most executives, that's not f- first and foremost, you know, front and front and center for them is kind of the health and well-being and, and state of mind of their direct reports. It may be, but it may not be on their radar. They may not see that somebody is struggling. They may not see right. that somebody is um, you know, checking out. They may not see that someone's going through a hard time. They may not see that someone's at risk of you know, maybe t- taking another role or, or leaving the company. So to the extent that you are you know, like that observation deck for your executive, right? And you're I love kind of, that part of the role, by the right? way. Yeah. Like you're, that's you're walking the floor. You're the observation deck. So yep. I think like these, and again, that's not on the job description. You're not going to see that, but that's, that's, that's part of it. Right. And so if people see that, wow, like Christine is, you know, Christine was the one looking out for me on that. And, and, and all of a sudden they had a really, you know, fruitful conversation with their boss. Reading between the lines, they know, wow, maybe maybe Christina had something to do with getting me that time that I needed, or maybe this thing that happened that was positive for me had something to do with what Christine said, because I know I had that conversation with her and she's a bug in so-and-so's ear. Again, like when they see how you have influence and impact on the course of how things evolve for them, they begin to see your value and your value is no longer, oh, she just moves meetings around. I think I'm not really sure why they keep around. (laughs) Aren't there, aren't there apps that do that? (laughs) It's like, but when they start to see it's so much more than that, I think all of these things in, in aggregate, right? It's all of these good acts amplified over time consistently, but that all raises raises the brand for everyone, for yourself, exactly. but, for, and, but for the entire, like for the entire industry. Like, it's, you know, really like this is, let's not be short-sighted about the stakes here. Like the stakes are huge. You know, the, the power of your role and the impact that you leave and the impressions that you leave, that, that extends to your, to your fellow executive assistants, right? Create that positive impression and it will carry forward. Absolutely. And I think the good thing about podcasts like yours and others is that we're giving people the dialogue. Um, 
I always think about Brene Brown and how she talks about, you know, giving people words to describe certain things. These types of podcasts give people dialogue to as to how to talk about their jobs in, a, in an intelligent way and how to provide perspective and scope and realize the impact. And we have to get out of seeing our roles as a tactical function because that that is so little of the job. Like the tactical stuff, I could do it with my eyes closed. It's the soft skills that a lot of people don't have that we do. Um, right. And that's, it's so, so valuable. And so I'm, I'm happy to kind of play a part in giving people that dialogue, learning how to talk about this. You know, when you're going to go for your next raise, learn how to amplify yourself, use, use words you've read or that you've heard in a podcast and, exactly. you know, no, they don't need to know where you got it from. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't at all. And I think that one takeaway that hopefully everyone can, can hear from this episode as they're thinking about, up leveling themselves and and showing up their their positive PR is to think about your role, challenge yourself to think about yourself and your role not in a reductive sense and not in a reductive point of view, but in an expansive point of view. What are all of the ways in which I my role extends outward, and what are all of the ways in which I touch different facets of the organization, and all the ways in which those you know, those, those streams or whatever um, result in, in, in better outcomes and possibilities for the people that I influence and impact, you know, don't, don't think of yourself in that reductive way, but think expansively. Exactly. And then part of that too. And um, I, I, I find this challenging even for myself still to this day, but you know, when companies put out their um, their data on growth and, you know, all of these uh, bits of information, you have to use that for yourself as well. You know, if you're an EA supporting a department that grew from 3,000 people to now 5,000 people, that's a big win for you too. That's not just for your boss. That's not just for the company. You've played a part in expanding all of that. And you can use that information for yourself too. 100%. So I know we just talked about how you as the individual need to really take charge of this dialogue. And I, I still believe that. But I'm curious if you've ever reached out to an executive for support with that and said, hey, you know, Joe Schmo, like I'm, I'm just having a lot of, I'm having a heck of a time getting so-and-so to cooperate on XYZ, or I just feel like, you know, they, they're not prioritizing my requests and they take weeks to get back to me and it's really becoming a bottleneck in, in, you know, me getting this done for you. Like, have you ever had to have that type of conversation where you've invoked your executive to help you with this? Not that situation specifically, um, but I have had my boss help telescope my value, um, so I had a new chief of staff position that was not only new to the company, but it was new to that specific department. Um, the unique thing was that I had colleagues that were on six different continents. So there were people who hadn't even heard of a chief of staff title before. Um, you know, titles that are known here might not be well known in other parts of the world. So there, there was a lot lost in translation. Um, I had to have a conversation with my boss to explain that he needed to tell his direct reports and anyone that he worked with on a regular basis what the scope of my role was so that those people would then understand that I was speaking 
and acting on his behalf. And even after he did that, it's, I still spent the first few months of my position talking through the specifics of my role and the types of things that I might be handling, you know, because again, people have stereotypes. They, they get that tunnel vision and they think, oh, well, you do this, but then you have another conversation and then it's something completely different. Oh, well, you do that too. What all do you do? And it's like, well, can't really put my finger on just one thing. It's a lot of different things. So yeah, that took months to talk through. Um, and, but it, it did start, I mean, it did start with me telling my boss, look, this is new. You can't expect people to understand right away. You need to let them know. And sometimes I would say, Hey, you need to reinforce, you need to remind them this is part of my job. And so that if I'm talking to them, they need to treat it as though you're talking to them because I, I'm an extension of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. So I have a final question for you, Christine, which is if you had the opportunity to support anyone in the world throughout the course of history and time, who would you choose to support and why? Herb Kelleher, who was the co-founder of Southwest Airlines. He was the first person I ever read about that embodied everything that I always thought was possible in business, even before I knew anything about the business world. Um, you know, he challenged the status quo. He created this, this epic, globally known culture. He put his employees first because mm. he knew that if you treated them well, they'll do the same for the customers. And he was absolutely right. And he did all this while being a servant leader who had this insane sense of humor and believed in having fun. Like, I, you just don't see CEOs who have that mindset. And so he, to me, he's just the, the, the ultimate, um, the ultimate person, you know, he had, there's a book that was written, gosh, probably 25 years ago. It's called nuts. Um, it's all about the, the start of Southwest airlines and their growth and, and heard a lot about Herb Kelleher himself. Um, but I remember there's so many stories in there about how he remembered his employees' names at all levels. He could mm. be on a, on a ramp um, at an airport, and he remembers the guys helping to load the luggage onto the plane. I mean, wh what kind of CEO does that? Like that was just things like that are, were mind-blowing. Um, and the, the big thing for me is that he believed in hiring for attitude because he knew skills could be taught, which is something that I've always believed in. But, you know, appropriate to this podcast, the number one thing that always stuck out in my mind, and like I said, I read this book more than 25 years ago. Um, I think it came out, yeah, it was a long time ago. He promoted his executive assistant into leadership positions within the company because, hello, he saw she was incredibly capable and he took her everywhere that he went. He took her with him. Um, his assistant's name is Colleen Barrett. She eventually became the first female CEO within the airline industry and a very successful one at that. Like she was leading Southwest Airlines when 9-11 happened and Southwest was the only airline to be profitable in the quarters following 9-11. Nobody else was. Because wow. I mean, you know, we all remember what happened there and, yeah. and you know, tra air travel took a big hit. They've remained profitable and she was in charge of that. So anyways, I always remember all that about him. And I just, 
I have always elevated him into like this, this pedestal of just the ultimate person. And so I would absolutely love to have worked for him. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know any of that. That is way cool. And I love the story of him promoting his executive assistant right? to ultimately being oh, the CEO. That's, that's the that's one thing like, I've always that's loved. That's wild. Yeah, no kidding. I got like goosebumps when you said that. Well, congrats on your new role. We wish you, you all the best with that. Thank you. And um, I'm thank you again. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.